Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, du bist das Gelbe von I. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox, who has been sorting out a new place to live. So Simon, how's the house hunting? Yeah, it's, it's gone alright, it's gone alright. We've, we've got a new place to live um, and we'll be moving in May. Um, because, yeah, in Germany, of course, anything that happens through a contract requires three months of notice. It's not quite <laughs> the, the cowboy hiring uh, and renting market in uh, the south of England that I was used to. So we're, we're, we're leaving the big smoke behind uh, and moving to the suburbs uh, like a happy little nuclear family. Oh, nice. We've been living in this apartment for a few years since we moved back from the US. Fantastic location. Uh, I'm 40 steps from an underground station. I'm a couple of hundred meters from the castle and 10 minutes from the center of uh, Nuremberg, Nuremberg. So yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect. But of course, lockdown sucks balls uh, and being cooped up with your immediate neighbors really can be quite distressing at times. And so yeah, we've decided a bit of clean mother nature, some forest living is what's required. And so yeah, we've landed that. Maybe 200 meters from our front door is a forest. Uh, so yeah, I look forward to teaching my cats how to walk with a lead and taking them through <laughs> through the woods. You're not going to be walking a cat on a lead, are you? No, no, there's no oh, way they'd let me that. do that. I don't want to cat shame anyone. It is an extraordinary sight when you see someone walking a cat. How can I say? I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anyone's anyone's pet love. So yeah, you're moving. You're moving into the uh, into the countryside. That's a big step, isn't it? You know. You're a city liver usually, weren't you? Well, I mean, I, I am, uh, to use the German, I'm a land eye. Uh, again, we have the connection with eggs uh, from the phrase at the start. So, yeah, I, I'm a village boy. Like, I grew up in the villages of the Surrey Hills. So, yeah, I, I got no beef with going back to that mm. sort of pace of life. Uh, I only started living in cities when I went to uni, where I lived in Cardiff, Wales, the capital city, which is, I think, about 600,000, all told. Um, mm. And that's sort of my level half a million people thereabouts I'm good but any more than that I just find it a bit oppressive but yeah I've now hit that age I guess where a garden sounds really really lovely I know my wife totally agrees and say we're really looking forward to having a proper garden like barbecues at ours are going to be awesome I'm looking forward to it I lived in a village when I first moved here and um yeah I, I think it would be it wouldn't be dishonest to say I hated it uh I've, I'm Stadtkind, right? I've lived in cities all my life, and mm. one of the reasons I had such difficulty living in Scotland was it was a small town, and that really impacted us. So, I, I love living in cities. I love the being close to amenities, and I love the noise. I love the sort of people. I like I like all of the bit, all the things about cities. I love, and then you put me in a village, and it like it's so quiet, it terrifies me. But my wife, my wife is was born in a village, <laughs> even like a really small village. And so she's there's always that challenge of like where do we live? Do we live in a city? Do we live in a um in a village? And we've compromised by living in Augsburg, which is like living in a village, but you are living in a city. It's a really small <laughs> city, so it's compact enough. There isn't lots of people everywhere. My wife's not a big fan of people, but like in a in a dream world I'd live in New York, like <laughs> no problem. Like that many people, all that stuff happening really? all at the same time. That's what? like that's been that would be something that I'd be very happy about. Because I've never lived in a major city like a London or a Munich or a New York. I'd love to live somewhere where, like, 
famous bands actually perform live <laughs> instead of <laughs> having to travel. Like, get on the train to Munich. We're going to go see Florence and the Machine. She's not coming to Augsburg. Yeah, I mean, we're both stuck in cities with that sort of level of fame, really. Mm. Not many really big stars come to know both. Although we do get a lot of punk bands mm-hmm. and stuff. So for, for my music scene, it's, it's pretty decent. I mean, obviously, this is something that's a growing direction for a lot of people our age, mid-30s people. A lot of them having kids, mm-hmm. like yourself, of course. Have I got kids? Shit! Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one told me <laughs> a lot of people are deciding that a move to the country is a good thing to do we just kind of figured that uh, it was the right kind of time and yeah we saw a few houses the third one we saw the landlord who was the owner as well took a shine to us and we managed to convince him to, to give us the uh, the house so yeah looking forward to that the main benefit that I'm looking forward to is just yeah, the peace and quiet. I know you say that it's too quiet, but I know for, for my mental health, I'm really looking forward to opening a window and not having a bus drive directly in front of my windows, which is what we have here uh, in our current That's apartment. That's a big difference, yeah. yeah. Like, I live in the center of, of the city, but because it's a quiet city for a start, but also that it's the area we live in, it's, it's not a lot of traffic noise. There's some traffic noise. The police cars and ambulances come past us but we don't hear a lot of traffic noise and say on a Sunday or a public holiday if we go out into the garden you can't hear anything really you can't you can't hear too much it's quite quiet it's quite peaceful that's the perfect city city life right Mm. it's not it's not something that everyone has the opportunity to have. If I go 100 metres down the road, we've got an area of the city that, that's a lot more densely populated. There's a lot more noise. The walls are a bit thinner. All of those things have, have an impact. And like you've said, you've already mentioned it before. You've had you've had some beef with the uh, with your neighbours, to put it mildly. And I think, yeah, uh, I, get, I get the instinct to go and live in the village. Mm. And, and like uh, always my reservation about living in villages was, and I'd be wondering what you think about this, it's not real life. That's my problem with living in a village. It's not real. It's like it's like a fabrication of what life is like. Okay. And if I think about German villages and I think about my sort of what I want for my daughter's like upbringing is I'm wary of raising my daughter in an all-white environment, if you see what I mean. I do, yeah, naturally, I, I know exactly what you mean because, yeah, there is a, a tendency for villages, especially in our neck of the woods, to be pretty rural and pretty agricultural and pretty sterile in that mentality so yeah it's, it's not necessarily the most welcoming environment i mean you told the story the other day uh, friends of yours and they german friends and said our oh, immigrants had moved to the village yeah. and you asked where they're yeah, from yeah. and they said nuremberg <laughs> like they, exactly. they were germans <laughs> moving into a german village but that is the sort of the mentality it is a different world in many ways but i mean yeah we're not moving it's really it's, it's the suburb of, of nuremberg mm-hmm. like we got an s-bahn station and all that kind of stuff so i'm not too worried about the the sort of little village mentality but yeah i'm i'm sure there's going to be some adjustment period but uh, i can't imagine i'm going to be too distressed not having to share a wall with neighbors Nah, it's super exciting the thing that's exciting and i think anyone who's lives in germany and has a level of success or has an opportunity to rent or, or buy a house that has a cellar for a British person is the most exciting thing in the world. Like when we got a cellar, I was like, <laughs> like even though it's one room, I'm like, what do I put in the cellar? <laughs> like, do I do I put wine in there? Do I put like and I had this image of what I would go. Do you know what goes in my cellar? Lots of cardboard boxes and my spare tires. That's what's and some tools. Like I don't know what the image was, but uh, they've got to live somewhere, and why not in your cellar? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
in Britain, if you had a cellar, you'd made it, right? Yeah. <laughs> if your house had a cellar, you either had to, had a house that was incredibly old, or you were probably quite well off, you know, had a bit of money. Uh, because most British houses don't have cellars, and if they do, uh, they're not very well maintained. Yeah, this is my memory. Obviously, we we had a lot of houses through my parents' work growing up that had cellars, like old, relatively historic houses, and they were just terrifying parts of the property like i never wanted to be in the cellars of these houses whereas yeah a couple of the properties we saw was like beautifully tiled cellars like really updated it's like yeah i can imagine my bedroom here like this mm-hmm. it becomes very very usable this is really one of the things that i want to sort of invest in in the property is making the cellar somewhere where i can actually spend time as mm-hmm. opposed to just being like the storage uh, space underneath the house Mm-hmm. I think my wife would rather focus on the garden, so I guess we're gonna have to have to deal with that. You could just segment up the house, like the basement's my responsibility, the garden's your responsibility. I'll tell you now, though, the garden is going to become your responsibility too. There's just lots of work to do, even mm. if you have a small garden. There's always, if you want to maintain it, there's lots of stuff that you're just like, oh god, it's the middle of winter and I'm digging a bloody hole. What the <laughs> hell is going wrong? So I it just did. It, yeah, it's what you have to do, isn't it? So there is always maintenance. The more space you have, or the more like, if you have a garden, you do have to maintain it. Well, luckily, I'm allowed to put a small amount of pressure on my wife because she went to a Waldorf Schule, uh, which we are going to talk about in detail at some point. Um, so, yeah, she is very much, I mean, she's actually done this as a subject at school, like garden management or whatever the translation is for that course. Um, oh, so right. she is like, she's actually, she's got a background in this, like an academic background. So I'm just going to take orders and do what I'm told. I think it's probably the, the right approach. That does explain your balcony, right? Yeah. Because your balcony is pretty impeccable when it comes to the the arrangement of this. I have to create a, an image with my words, right? But if you think of a, sort of it's a fairly w- wide balcony and it's basically top to toe with lots of different plants, lots of different herbs, all very well sort of looked after. You've put up netting to stop the pigeons That's getting That's not the cats in, getting out. Stop the cats getting out. <laughs> no, exactly. That's got a lo- like lovely sitting area and now it's all it's all coming together i did wonder like i was like how when did simon get so creative fool me it was all it was all your uh your lovely wife's uh effort yeah I'm, I'm a very lucky man uh, i'm <laughs> gonna put that out there on record uh this is recording uh, i'm very, <laughs> I'm a very lucky man <laughs> now now i feel like i have to say something i'm not going to uh <laughs> Yeah, I think um, one at a time. Let's not let's not go yeah. overboard. Valentine's Day was last week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to g- give out too much, you know. Um. <laughs> Geburt by minus 15 Grad. Mutter hat jetzt ein Dach über dem Kopf. Uh, so this is a story uh, coming from nordbayern.de, uh, and this has been one of the main news or. Maybe not one of the main news stories, but a pretty prominent news story here in Nuremberg in the last few days. And it follows the story of a young mother who, the headlines pretty much stated, gave birth outside the train station in Nuremberg. Uh, and that was at, yeah, at minus 15 degrees Celsius. And yeah, her and her partner. Uh, so yeah, this, this young mother, who's 20 years old, ended up giving birth to her baby outdoors, meters away from the main train station here when it's minus 15 degrees. Now, the, the opening paragraph of this uh, of this article from Nordbyen sort of tries to soften the blow by telling us births on the streets are pretty unusual. 
and it's like uh, yeah okay that, that might be true but yeah you'd really hope so in this day and age that women aren't just like oh shit no time to get to uh, a taxi an ambulance anything i'm just going to have the have the child here and I, i'm aware that there are some pregnancies some births that happen very very quickly uh, as a matter of this kind of urgency but obviously that's not what happened here this young girl and her partner clearly from the situation they're both homeless this brings us to yeah to the problem here so homelessness of course is is a growing problem uh, around the world when we look at for example in the u.s i mean where i lived in portland oregon there was a, a really extreme homelessness situation there with the covid situation there are millions of people who are unemployed at the moment um yeah i know how much my income has suffered off the back of this lockdown and so there are going to be a lot more people that are going to be made homeless i think we now have until March in the UK there won't be any evictions done by bailiffs and I think in the US rent um, evictions have been postponed I think until this month uh, maybe March but this doesn't mean that they're not going to happen uh, it just means they're being delayed and there are thousands and thousands of court cases ready to go especially in the US where landlords are ready to evict so there is going to be an explosion of homelessness um, in every country on earth where people will will finally no longer be protected under these kinds of situations at, at the moment in germany the the estimated number of homeless is anywhere between 650,000 and 860,000 but there was a 4% rise last year in germany apparently and yeah i, I think we can safely say that uh, this year is going to be a larger increase uh, than that 4% so obviously this is not uh, a happy story um it's kind of hard to to make any uh, jokes about this um but what i thought would be interesting is to to look at this from yeah from the perspective that people often talk of germany as one of these countries that has an absolutely fantastic social uh, network and social program for stopping this kind of stuff happening and so yeah we we start off of course one of the questions is how can this even happen and this is the question they ask to a woman called manuela bauer who runs um, a Warmstube, which is basically a little shelter. I, I don't know if it, we'd call it a soup kitchen or something like that. Um, but yeah, she runs a place where homeless people are able to get out of the cold and, and be protected. One of the sort of problems that they mentioned, it kind of comes across as quite cold-hearted to me, but maybe it's my, my translation. People can only be helped if they want help. And yeah, it kind of doesn't really feel good enough in this situation. So, so, I mean, Nick, how do you... I've been talking quite a lot about this already. How do you feel about this? It's it's a good example of the reality of living in Germany. And, and you're right about the stats of homelessness is on the rise everywhere. I just... When I think of homelessness, it takes me straight back to Newcastle because I remember, I remember growing up seeing a lot of homeless people and then there was a certain period where homelessness wasn't as big an issue in the media it wasn't as big an issue socially and then the 2007 crash happened and i remember traveling back and forth between germany and every time i went back to newcastle there was more and more homeless people and one of the things you you see it's very infrequent that you'd see you see like people begging in germany it's not like there's a lot of uh I'm, I've, there's a lot of distrust about about begging there's a lot of assumptions about people who are begging there's a lot it's a very different experience from in the uk where you, you almost instinctively know you can tell the difference between someone who's just begging because the 
that don't have anything else to do and people who are actually homeless because the majority of the homeless people are carrying every single possession they have and it, it, you can't always gauge whether someone's homeless or not yeah like just it, you, you look for indicators because be begging and asking for money on the street is is uh, yeah it's not something that that makes you feel good or comfortable when you're walking around a city center i think it's very easy for people in my position to judge other people and are you really in need? Like, I'm no judge of whether someone's in need. I don't have those capabilities. I, th I think it's really interesting you talked about sort of the scepticism because I, I was really surprised by the amount of scepticism I encountered here about the legitimacy of beggars. But I also think this, of course, exists in the UK as well. But I, for me, what I always heard in the UK, people would say they're going to spend that money on drugs or they're going to spend that money on alcohol. And here, I would hear they're organised and there are definitely sort of two different mentalities behind those and i mean grow me growing up in the in the southeast i mean in guildford there was basically no homelessness allowed by the local police that just wouldn't fly but of course in london yeah you do encounter a lot of it and to be homeless in newcastle upon time like that's got to be one of the toughest but here more often than not a lot of the beggars you see are people from a different ethnicity and I think that just makes it... makes pe People are more suspicious, right? They're more suspicious. Totally, totally. The scepticism is definitely a key issue here. But obviously here we're a, we're a small city and it goes on to say that this this young woman and her boyfriend were known to be guests of this uh, this Warmerstube, like this, this uh, let's call it a soup kitchen for the sake of this discussion, and that they were also known to the unfortunate German word, street workers. We would call these like city workers bin men etc uh, so a bit of a, a tricky english uh, phrase there but no one who knew her knew that she was pregnant she was always wearing apparently thick pullovers and a big winter jacket the theories put out that maybe this girl didn't even realize that she was pregnant at all until the baby was sort of upon her for, for lack of a better better word well i think there is a habit there is a habit that develops when it when we talk about homelessness which is uh, you sort of remove the agency from the individual like the whole discussion about i oh, don't give them any money they're going to spend it on drugs and it's like well yeah i remember distinctly watching a uh, mm. uh it was i think it was a russell brand thing where he traveled around america and he was giving money to homeless people and this guy popped up who was who's worked for some sort of homeless charity that was trying to support them and he's like oh you can't just give them money you can't just give them money and he was trying to explain mm. like oh, well i was an addict and i understand addiction quite well and like you seem to be assuming that these people aren't adults that can't make their own decisions and it's like oh you're not helping them and it's like well actually like explain explain to me the solution to the the, the problem here like what is these mm. this is this is an example of people who've fallen through the safety net and that's often the case and when she mentions and talks about the fact that you can't just you can't force people to take help like you can't sometimes sometimes it's pride sometimes it's me mental mental health issues that people are suffering from and, and there's one thing i know about germany is they don't deal with mental health in a very good way i think if you've got a mental health problem and you haven't got a housing it's there isn't the systems aren't very well developed or very well in place to look after or protect people who lose their job have mental health issues fall through the cracks like if you're not an atypical kind of example of someone who mm. fits a, a, a metric that they measure you very well might fall through the cracks and around my, around where i live the majority of the social work is conducted by the catholic church which is another angle on it which is 
Um, it's not that they're re- refusing people, but I think it's a di- there's a very big difference between the, the, the support offered by the state and the support offered by a charity and the support offered by a religious institution. And I think there is, a, certainly around this area where I live, it feels like a lot of the social social projects that are available are hosted or funded by the Catholic Church, which is fine, that's all right, but it does seem like, I, I, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but it doesn't fill me with a vast amount of confidence. Well, I mean, if you're dealing with a, a sort of a young pregnancy um, out of wedlock, the last thing I imagine you want to hear mm-hmm. is the opinion of a Catholic priest. We'll see. I mean, yeah, this. I mean, obviously, there are lots of reasons that people can become homeless, and I think we mental health is certainly one of the key things there, and it's something that has to be better addressed. Um, one of the things that I found really incredible about living in Portland, Oregon, is that the way they police these events is very different from the rest of the U.S. Obviously, we are full of stories of the police drawing weapons and firing shots on people that were no real threat. But all the times I saw Portland, Oregon police dealing with someone who was homeless, it was done with sort of the initial understanding that there was probably a mental health issue at the root of it. And so you didn't see them drawing their guns first. They would always engage and they had training in these things. And yeah, it was, of course, bad incidents did happen. Uh, but generally speaking, the the way they handled it was with dignity. And I think that's something that's so key. I mean, pride you mentioned is a key thing here. Having that stripped away from you or at least feeling like you have failed because you've ended up homeless must be very, very difficult to ask for help in the way that is available. You're in a bit of, you're in a bit of a hiding to nothing when, uh, not you per se, but anyone who tries to compare homelessness indeed, between indeed. all these different countries. If we look at Britain, Germany and America, the three problems, like I was... I was actually disgusted. Uh, that's how I felt when I saw the level of homelessness mm. on the Pacific coast of, of the US. And I was just like, how how the hell does the richest country in the world have this many homeless? Like, There were so many incidents when we travelled down that coast of interactions with um, like the most homeless people I have ever experienced. I've, 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 I've met homeless people. I've been friends with homeless people. I'm not an expert, but this was like we drove down down the coast, and there was like a convoy of homeless people walking from one end from Seattle down to California. Seattle was a disgrace in my mind that they would even they would even countenance that level of homelessness. It was disgusting to see because I know how wealthy these areas were, and you would go from you'd be in the city center and you'd just see the most profound amount of poverty. Being in Portland is a great example. It's a, it's a homeless city, basically. There's a city of tents and homelessness. I, I remember two incidents stick out in my mind. Was The first incident was uh, in... Uh, no, sorry, three incidences that stood out for me. First incident was I got we got stopped at a, a motel, I think somewhere on the Pacific Coast, can't remember where, uh, and as we parked the car, this guy like literally came out of a bush with his dog and he mm. was, must have been 21 couldn't have been older than 21 and he just said have you got if you got any money and i was like mate yeah like i, I don't care what you mm. spend it on but like you need it more than i do and it was shocking and he held out his hand and the the dirt and encrusted dirt on his hands like you just mm. it was just I, I was appalled right this is the 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 richest nation right in the world and this is this guy 
this guy is here but th- there is a different profound issue with support and welfare the welfare state in, in america or the lack of a welfare state in america the second thing was when i was in san francisco and i went we were uh, accosted by this by the most genial nice guy came up and he said oh i work for the um soup kitchen and i was like aye aye right whatever like i've heard that before and he's like oh no here's my validation accreditation and like i checked because i'm not like I wanted to know, I didn't want to sort like 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 I knew he was going to ask us for money. You know when these things happen, and I was like, I'm not going to give money to someone who isn't going to be that money isn't going to go to someone who's homeless because you guys have a homeless problem. And he was like, and he was like, no, and he showed us his accreditation. I checked it on my mobile. I was like, oh, we're German, you know. And he's like, ha ha, yeah, of course you would do this. <laughs> and so like we had a back and forth, and I just said to him, I was like, look could you tell me what it is about America that means there's so many homeless people? And he said, like, yeah, well, basically, we don't have a welfare state like you do in Europe, which was the first example. He said, we also don't look after people with mental health issues. And he said, the vast majority of people who are on the street are former veterans. And I was just like, all right, Mm. for a country, certainly for the last four years, they've been waving the flag and saying how fucking great they are. And what did did Trump do for fucking homeless people? Fuck all. Why? Because billionaires don't give a fuck about poor people. And that is the truth, right? that's as categorical as i can be about it the third the third the third thing was um oh yeah the third one is in vegas right Uh, vegas the homelessness there was like you'd walk out of a billion dollar casino and then there was a guy with his literally his trousers around his ankles in the middle of the street clearly with a massive mental health issue just screaming as everyone just walked past in their like summer t-shirts and i was just like what is this country all about? like it just blew my mind it gave us a very clear understanding of of a part of america you certainly don't see on tv but it's not just an american problem homelessness in britain's a disgrace but homelessness in britain's because the british government for the last 10 years has been hollowing out the welfare state and anyone who wants to uh, counter that argument at 40% German uh, on Twitter. <laughs> I'll welcome it because uh, your arguments are going to be dog shit. Uh, the British government has doesn't care about poor people, doesn't care about people who don't vote for them. That's the truth. And in Germany, it's Germany's just, it's it's it seems like Germany's issue is it just doesn't know it happens. Just mm. doesn't, there's a lack of awareness about homelessness. And the assumption is if homeless people, if someone's on the street, it's their, it's their fault or it's drugs or they're in a gang but it's but it's 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 ignorance ignorance is a big factor in germany because the welfare state is quite a important part of uh, the, the the german of german society it's one of the foundational aspects of germany like bismarck essentially instituted yeah, as a way it, of outflanking the left yeah. wing le- left wing movements the start of it all yeah, yeah it was foundational in the 50s to the rebuilding of the german state after national socialism and you obviously have heart fear which we'll talk about in a moment so there is a welfare state if you are an edge case you do tend to seem if you have a mental health issue you do seem to fall through the cracks it's a disgrace in any mm. wealthy country to have homelessness that are very wary of going like oh well america's worse than britain and britain's better than Germany because it's not comparable it's a disgrace in any country sorry rant over I mean no no it's it's, it's, it's very bad I mean we, obviously yeah we can't directly compare these three nations but we, I think we have to accept that they are three of the mm-hmm. most developed nations mm-hmm. on earth and should all do a load better than they are to bring it back to the situation though obviously you mentioned that gender is a pretty key thing and it is true that the majority of of homeless people in germany and around the world are male but of course the current lockdown has has seen a a terrifying spike in domestic violence and sexual assaults Mm -hmm. at women who have been 
for lack of a better word, trapped in homes with their assaulters, with uh, with their abusers. And so the, the next thing they talk about in the article is about the Caritas House for Frauen in Nord. Uh, so Caritas is one of the major charities uh, operating in the social sector here in Germany. And this is their, their women's shelter that they op- operate here. The fact that this girl was able to, to go all through her pregnancy without being picked up is, according to everyone in this article who works for these charities, really really rare but i mean the fact of the matter is it still happened edge case in it fell through the gaps yeah absolutely and i mean it's not just that she's had a, a pretty traumatic experience this 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 poor woman and, and the start of her family but i mean of course when you have a baby in these circumstances you are not going to be allowed to keep your baby at first and so this is sort of the next twist in this tale i mean the headline that I read at the start, we now know that this girl now has a shelter, she has a place to live, but of course her child is in care. And so this is really going to have a dramatic effect on her options. We don't know how she ended up homeless, and it could be that yeah, the next choices that she makes are sort of sensible and good in the classic sense of like raising her, uh, protecting her child, but they could also be tarnished by her circumstance and she could end up losing this child to the care system it's terrifying that, that this was possible and uh, that i mean yeah we, we, we can be thankful that the baby survived in these really what a start F- minus 15 near the train station it's, it's brutal if you're interested in, in donating money to the homeless it's quite difficult to find uh, national charities in germany but there's often very regional charities or even city-based charities uh, soup kitchens things like that definitely would suggest and, and and if we could find links we'll post them it would definitely suggest that you don't if you can donate a bit of money um if you're in britain donate uh, donations to shelter are always always uh, welcome and there's also various different food banks that support the homeless um one that's close to my heart is the west end food bank in newcastle which supports working working poor homeless homeless people lots of different groups so like if you if you have a bit of money in your pocket and you you're, you're looking at wanting to buy something maybe maybe drop a bit of cash in into a, one of these charities that, that, that really they really can do do with the help and do with the support and it's certainly a really positive thing to do for 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 yourself and for everybody else as well for homeless people and for for whoever else so yeah i mean i would say like if you if you if, if you're feeling like helpless it certainly made me feel a little less helpless feeling like this this is something that i can actively positively do i can't volunteer but I can I can support the groups that are you know and and be supportive, but if you I mean if you can volunteer obviously that's even better. But during a pandemic that's obviously a bit difficult. But yeah, yeah. So following on from homelessness, we're going to talk obviously when we talked about homelessness, we talked about the welfare state in Germany, and we thought maybe it would be sensible to just look at an article that that covers that and so this is an article from spiegel.de job center muss hartz via empfänger monatlich 129 euro für ffp2 masken zahlen this is a story that follows on from something we discussed way back in i think november or december last year if you remember that far uh, far away or that, that long ago the bavarian government and then the regional state governments all around the country created a law that required 
all citizens, if they want to go shopping and want to go into shops or wander around the city where they have areas that you must wear a mask, that everyone would have to, from uh, November onwards, use FFP2 masks or FFP2 masks, which are the higher level protection masks that protect you better than, than just a cloth mask. So if you walk around Germany today, you see everyone wearing these masks, you go shopping, everyone's wearing one of these these white sort of medical masks almost. And, and what we discussed back then was, and my again my sort of soapbox moment was it's all well and good instituting a law what that requires people to buy different masks and wear them but the fact that the mask has a uh, lifespan of eight hours being used and has to be replaced meant that there was a a big expenditure being expected from from individuals and families all across the country to buy these masks regularly and use them. There's been a lot of debate about whether they're whether they're useful. There's been a lot of debate about that whether the, the, it was a sensible decision. Uh, this story looks at a, a individual who was unemployed who took was it the city he took to court? All right, so he took the job centre, his local job centre, to court in Karlsruhe because the the job centre had refused to give him money to buy masks. And so he took them to court and unsurprisingly won his court case. And now the job centre is required to give him either, I think the option was either 129 euros cash or 129 euros worth of masks per month, which is exactly what I said would fucking happen, right? It's exactly what I said. He had to take them to bloody court. Like they didn't just go, all right, yeah, you're actually, yeah, you don't, you don't have a lot of money to buy these expensive masks, which have now become even more expensive because everyone in the country needs them. But we're still not going to do it. I mean, I might be doing them a disservice. Maybe it's this is just the process. Seems like a bit of a wild process that you have to take your job centre to court in order for them to support you with the social welfare that we all pay our taxes for. But yeah, what do you think of the story, Simon? Well, I mean, this is a, a pretty significant mm-hmm. victory, really. I mean, in the headline, we had this term heart's fear. Now, of course, any German will know exactly what that means. But for any British listeners who haven't come across this term heart's fear before, um, heart's fear is basically your 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 social state security, like your unemployment benefits and the money you can qualify for from the government if you are unable to work. Your heart's fear at the moment in 2021, it's going to go up to 446 euros a month. Now, that's not a lot of money. That's really, really not a lot of money. And so this guy, through winning this, this increase of 129 euros a month is a massive massive increase in the amount of social security and social support he's receiving so it's a fantastic victory um but i think it does also shine a light on the fact that there are a lot of people here in germany who are surviving on this kind of money every month and when i went to the website forhardsphere.de to find out more about how they imagine this money is spent there's a pretty interesting graph that they share and and they suggest that a person on Hartsphere should spend about 155 euros a month on food drink and tobacco Uh, the fact that tobacco was lumped in there with food and drink i thought was interesting but again that's not a lot of money 150 euros a month uh, for food and drink it's it's possible of course we are full to the brim with budget supermarkets here in germany but uh still you'd you'd have to be careful and they sort of break it down in other ways public transport 40 euros a month Mm -hmm. like that's not feasible in a lot of cities uh my my monthly pass of 60 euros so that's 20 euros already out of pocket there are a lot of projects talking about making public transport available for people on Hartsphere for i think a euro a day or for even for free has been suggested but uh yeah anything that can help people in this economic situation 
deal through these very, very Mm -hmm. difficult times is, of course, fantastic news. I mean, the eight-hour mask, of course, these FFP5 masks aren't sort of vide wendbar. They're not reusable, to use the German. But if people, any listeners out there, are the same position as I am, where I only need these FFP masks for going shopping, Karl Lauterbach, who is sort of the Fauci of Germany, I guess, did share some information from F.H. Munster, which uh, did a study on how we can use these masks again and so it does seem that if you're in a similar situation to me if you wear it for 10-15 minutes you can leave it to dry at room temperature uh, for a week and then it is possible to reuse them Um, you can also cook them in your oven so if you treat them at I think it's 180 degrees uh, for a certain amount of time you can make them safe to use again so there are ways to save a few euros here and there but the fact remains, ideally, these masks shouldn't be worn for more than eight hours, so we do need to use multiple ones a day. But I say, if you are interested in more, then if you, uh, in German, if you search Wiedewendung uh, von FFP Zwei Masken für die Private Gebrauch, you will find uh, a PDF available from FH Munster, supported by the Bundesinstitut für Arzneimittel and Medizin Produkte. So you can maybe save yourself a few euros if you are throwing them away every time it is safe to do so but yeah being on heart sphere is no joke and there are going to be more people at this level unfortunately like it's good there is a clear understanding that there's a duty of care to to people who are unemployed i mean in the uk they basically created a new system they, they spent a vast amount of money creating a system that would make sense but wasted a lot of money because they didn't understand the implementation and they've created this new system they created a system called universal credit it's actually not a bad idea the idea of centralizing all the benefits that someone might receive whether it's uh, for your kids or for unemployment or for disability or all of these things into one system but in britain they came up with this genius idea that you had to wait five weeks which it's difficult if you have no money waiting five weeks you know five weeks is not like with no money yeah no one does that but as we said like the british government doesn't care about poor people so i mean surprise surprise there's an example in germany do it do i think the german government care particularly about poor people not by the fact that nearly every other like month they're constantly talking about we need to change hearts via we need to reduce Mm. the amount of money they're getting or uh, and this idea that 446 euros is somehow like some fortune and people will talk about things being hearts via they'll talk about tv shows being hearts via tv shows Mm. because it's the the assumption is that the poor people sit on their ass on a couch all day watching television and not doing anything now is are there some people who are on unemployment or hearts via that sit on their ass and do nothing all day probably probably but there's plenty of people who get paid a lot of money to sit on their ass all day the um i i I don't know i mean like you've got to look at the fabulously wealthy who sit on their ass all day why 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 is the discussion never why don't we tax them 90 percent like Mm. why is the discussion always we should reduce the money that we're giving to the poor like it's it's wacky that right why don't you just tax rich people more seems like a reasonable idea there'll be more money in the system but i guess that's what you get when you vote for parties that don't have the interest in uh, in in the, the working poor in mind um sorry this is becoming very very soapboxy no i mean it's it's a, yeah i mean it's it's a it's an emotional topic i think one of one of the again we come back to the idea of dignity mm-hmm. and 446 euros is very hard to to live 
a sort of what you would call a dignified life mm. for that that money you have to be careful with everything you spend and that's that's challenging but one of the big differences i think from the uk to germany is that here in germany of course we, we've spoken about before the fand system the deposit system for bottles mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people who are on heart sphere who supplement that income by going around the city all day lugging bottles uh, that they dig out of bins or of public transport and so i mean i, I feel every time i see one of these flash ensemblers the bottle collectors like it, it breaks my heart a little bit because they're, they're, they're struggling and they're trying their hardest to sort of hide the fact that this is what they're doing mm-hmm. Like they're embarrassed by the fact that they're collecting bottles because mm-hmm. everyone knows why you're doing it. It's because you're really, really broke mm-hmm. and you can't afford these. Yeah, no things. one's doing it for fun. Like it's not like really like they're really like this is the dream that they had when they were were younger. Was oh well, I'm going to grow up and live on heart's fear. And it's the thing in they had in Britain this idea that there was welfare, like generational welfare users who like their parents were unemployed and now they're unemployed and and this idea that the only single motivator for being unemployed is is that you are lazy essentially the thing that gets me is in britain you don't have this in germany we have zero zero hour contracts where you can get a Mm. contract with a company that don't guarantee any of any hours or you've got the gig economy this they've created this great term for shit work it's a gig economy you know you can have lots of gigs you know you can be your own employer and it's like basically you work for a delivery company you have to buy your own van pay for your own petrol and run around like a lunatic chasing um, orders and if you don't deliver stuff you don't get paid but there's just the, the level of jobs a leaferando driver or whatever right secure work is not as available mm. as it was in the past and so so there's a lot of job insecurity which uh, right now the hell of a lot of job insecurity with the pandemic i mean the whole time i've been living and working in germany i've i've had six months with a normal contract the rest of the nine and a half years working here i've been what they would call freiberuflich i've been self-employed uh and of course that sounds really nice but all of my contracts with schools and uh, language areas I work with, they were effectively zero-hour contracts. But, of course, we, we sell this slightly differently. But there's no doubt about it. The, the, the English worker is being exploited at a really alarming rate. Uh, there were lots of examples, and it's getting, it's getting worse. So uh, hopefully people will get the assistance they need to be able to make a living wage. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible that it's even a discussion. But of course, it looks like we're going to be left in the wake of Joe Biden's America when they install the $15 minimum wage, uh, which will make a huge difference. Uh, and we need something in that direction to, to sort of solve these problems. We know, we, I think everyone knows a family that has duked the system to gain benefits. I, I know a, a handful and their family was trained and they train their children to take advantage of the system. And of course, that is disgusting and it should be stopped. But it isn't, the way you stop that isn't by just gutting the system for everyone else. Uh, and that's what the Conservatives seem to have done. Now I'm on your soapbox as well. Shit. <laughs> Yeah, get on, get on. There's plenty of room for two. Don't you worry. In Britain, it's different. It's different from Germany, and I think it's really important that we point that out. There's different. There's a different mentality. There's a. There's a it's a class-based society, and that still has a massive impact on a lot of what happens in Britain. Germany has a class system, but it's kind of hidden because of the massive uh, middle class that exists in Germany. And what you do see, mm. though, is this idea that. If you are on Hartsvier, you're either lazy or it's your own fault 
or you didn't work hard enough and that seems to be something when I have conversations with people that seems to come through not that this is just what we pay for I pay my taxes so there's a safety net like, I have no problem I don't even have a problem with you raising my taxes in order to give it to people who are poorer I'd prefer you raise the taxes of billionaires to a much higher scale but you know that, that somehow that seems to be like wealth taxes <laughs> seem to be bad but you look at the argument over like Mindus loan minimum wage right like uh, uh, the living wage in the UK the the idea that you m- match your, the minimum wage to inflation or you match it to what the reality on the ground is like shouldn't be a controversial discussion but it's only a controversial discussion if mm. your tactic and strategy as a politician is to divide society yeah. between rich and poor we talked about poverty porn a few weeks ago this idea that you make a lot of tv shows have a like a fishbowl lens on 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 uh, poor people and you know like what are their, their lives and and the areas that they come from what you've realized really quickly is do you know what it's like to be poor it's really fucking shit. Well, I mean, there is there is a good example of this poverty porn in in Germany on their TV called Hartsfeer und Herzlich. Genau, or, right? Genau. Or Herzlich, sorry, Hartsfeer und Herzlich, and it follows homeless people as they go about their day, and it's it's horrible. It's really really horrible. There's an excitement, uh, obviously garnered by the viewer uh, in these experiences. Otherwise, they they wouldn't be so successful. These shows. It's rubbernecking, uh, yeah. though, isn't it? It's just rubbernecking. It is. So I mean. Thankfully, we're left to here with a situation where the job centre is going to be paying yeah. the equivalent of four euros a day, which isn't really enough to pay for the masks if somebody does need to travel mm-hmm. on uh, on public transport and work. But yeah, it's, it's definitely moving in the right direction, at least. So well done to this young man for, for beating the job centre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm t- t- kudos, I would say. I would say that one last thing is like, I, had, I had the most minor brush with uh, I've never been on Hartsfeer in Germany. I'm very lucky in that respect. But I did have a year where I was effectively homeless in the in the sense that I was working uh, I was working in Nuremberg and having to just get accommodation, whether that was mm. Airbnbs. But I spent a lot of time in different pensions, and a pension is a guest house, but usually a pension is where people who can't afford to rent a flat end up living. And I lived among a lot of people who had significantly worse financial constraints than i did and and we were sort of thrown together and like i've i've stepped in rooms with rats in them like that's what that's the experience like this idea that that it's all hunky-dory and everyone's having a good time is like it's it's a fallacy like you see a pension and you go go inside one and you get an experience very quickly of what it's like to stay there it's very claustrophobic it's very noisy it's very uncomfortable it's not a nice experience all the time and i think if more people had those experiences and they didn't, if we actually made an effort to understand what actually happens instead of here's a TV show for you to watch that just displays the worst of the worst or here's an edge case, but we're going to make it sound like the worst, like your example of the, the family that taught their kids to, to milk the system. Mm. Yeah, they do exist, but they're so, they're not the norm. They're not the norm. And I think it's a bit more understanding. Goes a long way. Doesn't hurt. So, Yeah more than happy for this dude to get his reward for clearly yeah. understanding how to use the system and what he needed to do because he obviously had some advice or he knew himself the best way to take action was lawyer up take these fools to court so well done Vater belauscht Gespräch seiner Tochter 1750 Euro Strafe uh, so this is an article from Spiegel.de uh, and this was a new word for me belauscht 
to listen in on or to spy on. So yeah, this is a story about a father who has received a very large fine, 1,750 euros, for secretly listening to his daughter's conversations with her teacher. 25 times he did this over 25 days, 70 euros a day was his uh, his penalty. This was a new teacher for his daughter and he made his daughter allow him to connect his Bluetooth headset and he just listened in on the conversations between him and his daughter. It's a pretty large fine for being an over-attentive father, wouldn't you say? He's not being attentive, man. Like, it's not at all what it is. This is this is like helicopter parenting at its best. It's like the perfect mm-hmm. example. Like, as a parent, um, my my daughter isn't even a year yet, and already I'm dreading the idea of an uh, Elton Zeit or like a parent-teacher meeting or a parents, parents' evening. Like, I don't... I just, the idea of it appalls me to my very core. <laughs> and the idea that you would actively... Not only is he, like, actively... I'm getting engaged in this parent-teacher meeting or this, this, this meeting, I want to be a part of this. He's... Uh, He's now had to pay for it. Frankly, I have very little sympathy for, for this guy. The The thing I wanted to bring up was the actual law that he broke. It's pretty clear. And what was hilarious was his argument was he, he had a right to hear what the teacher was saying. And mm-hmm. actually, he doesn't have a right to hear what the teacher is saying to his daughter. And as this pointed out, one I think the either one of the lawyers or the judge pointed out was if this was a conversation happening inside the school on a school day, you wouldn't even have known it was happening. So you wouldn't have mm. like been invited to it. And the, the, the there is obviously a high penalties for recording people who who don't don't want to be recorded or haven't been asked for permission. So the thing he actually broke mm. was section 201 of the German Criminal Code, or to give its 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 official German title, Strafgesetzbuch, which sounds fun, right? Uh, so this is the criminal code, <laughs> and it's uh, section 201, violation of the confidentiality of the word, which is an interesting uh, term in German. I'll give you that. It's the Verletzung der Vertraulichkeit des Wörters. And anyone who's unauthorized shall be punished with a prison sentence of up to three years or a fine if they record a non-publicly spoken word of another on on a recording device. A recording made uh, in this way is then used or made available to a third party. Likewise, it's also illegal to eavesdrop on a non-publicly spoken word of of another not intended for for, for them or to uh, publicly communicate the the private uh, spoken words of another person recorded by yourself so he's, he's banged to rights he, he he asked his daughter that was the thing that he did that was when he broke the law was asking premeditated asking his daughter to connect her bluetooth headphones so he could hear what was said the best bit about it is and this is probably one of my favorites he then gloatingly sent in several emails saying he'd done this and the school went all right i guess Guess we'll be calling the police then. <laughs> like you're just like, what are you doing? You know, like why would you? It, it's that. It's the helicopter parent that I know better than the teacher mentality that you see a lot in in education at the moment. I mean, would you do it? I, I don't have kids, so this is extremely hypothetical. But if my kid told me that the teacher had said something that I considered controversial, I can definitely understand the instinct of wanting to like make sure that it was a safe space or whatever. But I mean his justification that he was concerned about her uh, her success in the class and he was concerned about her integration uh, for online teaching that's that smells like deep bullshit. Oh it is. But I mean I I, I do understand this instinct and be like well you said during that that uh, that lesson that this and that's not correct. Mm-hmm. I I just imagine how good it must have felt for the teacher to realize what had happened. And realised that he was 
so utterly on the wrong side of the law uh, and that they were able to just completely throw the book at him must have felt so good but there's there's an important aspect the reason she was speaking to the the teacher was speaking to the daughter was because she had come to believe that the father was actually doing her the daughter's schoolwork for her which adds a whole different dynamic yeah i wanted to point i I did an extra bit of research for this right because i was like something there's something fishy about this article and then i so i pulled up this is from the hamburger morgan post right their article first off he, he, he the guy described himself as a german dinosaur as if that was some excuse for why he was doing what he was doing but the actual things he said were way more abhorrent right so one of the things he said was that he talked about physical activities in the school schoolyard by children with a migration background right so he said that the kids kids uh, mm-hmm. kids with a migration background were uh, they, they danced they danced with the girls in the in the schoolyard whatever that means and this is the quote that gets me and i've translated this so it's not 100 percent like perfect english in addition the children would learn bongo drums instead of the violin to understand other cultures oh wait okay hmm that's interesting right that's a very interesting statement <laughs> it's good to know that german dinosaur is is a synonym <laughs> for racist wanker this is this is good i didn't know that yeah justifying it as being a german dinosaur <sighs> yeah it's, it's very ukip but I mean, yeah. Obviously, this, the fact that he's doing his his child's homework shows the inferiority complex that this man is dealing with. That he can't even handle his daughter, maybe not getting a fantastic grade, or he's such a terrible communicator that he can't even just help her with it. That he has to like take command. I mean, you should of it. point out he's sixty nine. He's sixty nine years old, right? So he's actually his daughter's thirteen. He's sixty nine. That's quite a, an age difference. And to be to be fair to him. I imagine his school education was dramatically different from the education that his daughter's receiving or the way that they communicate or the way they do things. But that's part of the problem is um, often, I know a lot of teachers, uh, a lot of my friends are teachers, and what you ex- what you hear from them is the amount of times parents will complain about something that is just the norm in education, but they had a different experience. Mm. And so they think... They think either their experience was the right experience, but actually, what you forget is in Germany. Right? Okay, there's different there's different tiers of education in Germany. There's the three tiered system they have at the top gymnasium, which is effectively what we would call grammar school, but that is class laced language and it doesn't really equate to grammar school. It's it's more of a, you have like an eleven plus. You have an exam when you're about eleven, ten, get eleven years old, and you get put into one of three tiers: top one gymnasium. Uh, then it's uh, Realschule, then Mittelschule, and those are the options. And uh, depending on your results, when you're a, a ten or eleven year old, will dictate to a certain extent where you will, uh, what your profession might be, whether you'll go to university. Now, there's a lot of options open. It's not that's a very basic overview, but the fact of the matter is, if you're a teacher in a gymnasium, you've probably been trained for like seven years. Like that's about the same level as a doctor would get trained. Like the amount of training they have to go through. Like a lot of you, teachers who are qualifying now, who are, like, I'll give you an example of how difficult it is to get a job. I know someone who got a a one point two, I think was their grade, which is one of the highest marks you can get out of teacher training, right? And there was one job for his classification, and he 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 missed out because he came second. So someone got a one point one or a one point oh. 
someone i think something got 1.0 or something um uh, i don't think actually i think you can't actually get a one i think that's the truth i think it was like a 1.1 or something but he missed it by like a millimeter basically and and so it is it's a very competitive industry there's not everyone's guaranteed a job and usually it's usually the best of the best get picked and to get a job in gymnasiums hard now i don't know if this 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 young lady's from in the gymnasium but it does mean that the the, the teachers who don't get who get high marks you don't get in a gymnasium then go into the other tiers if they can find work or they may move to a different state the other side of that is there's a hell of a lot of teachers who are in their mid late 50s late 60s um, early 60s who are still working and are, are will work until they basically get kicked out because it's a government employment and it's a job for life in a way that we really don't have in a lot of uh, english-speaking countries and um it's it comes with a lot of benefits but there's a lot of teachers who are certainly now when they're being called upon to use virtual communication um using virtual systems using teams or zoom or whatever they um they don't really know how to use it they're not like they i've heard stories about people going oh i'm just i'm just not very good with it oh i'm not technologically savvy and you're like that's not something to be proud of that you should be ashamed (laughs) like it's 2020 like or 2021 sorry like you, you should be aware of these systems um so so i mean in fairness to the guy i can understand why obviously parents take an interest in their child's education but like listening in on a conversation or doing your kid's work is like just such like it's just cheating your kid you know you really are i mean they nailed it home in the the end of the story as well in spiegel where they said that members of the court tried multiple times to explain to him what he that he had done wrong and even in the face of these of his loss he wasn't really accepting of the fact that what he had done was a crime because it's his kid i guess was his justification the law as as nick has wonderfully cited for us is the law and yeah a teacher is allowed to speak to a 13 year old without the parent there of course they are <laughs> yeah it's just part of part of the way it is and i think i think it, it ultimately there's the, the the helicopter parent issue is something that you see more and more Um, usually it's not an instance like this usually it's a parent often in a very privileged or very high-end profession lawyers doctors who will talk to teachers as if they're Mm. blithering idiots and like the thing that always annoys me in germany because it does happen in germany you get a title like i'm a lawyer or doctor professor and suddenly something happens in people's brains where they assume i am a doctor of uh pediatrics for instance but it also means that I'm an expert mm. in education. You're like, no, like you're an expert in pediatrics. You're not a teacher. Like you don't understand the, the th- all the things that they need to understand. But there's a, a gap of respect there between them because they're like, I'm I'm a doctor and you're just a teacher. <laughs> I shall t- I shall tell you how to teach this subject that you've spent seven years learning how to teach. And it's just like, well, like we we don't come into your doctor's surgery and kick the 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 stethoscope out your hands you know and tell you that you're a dickhead so don't do it to other people so that's a big it's a, that's a part of it too is this idea that somehow my ability to understand the law or to perform like um medical services somehow also makes me an expert in every other topic speaking to teachers you just hear it all the time these these parents who just have no idea oh it must be easy to be a teacher you get you get all that time off not true not fucking true a single for a second not true i mean i've I've been a teacher for well over a decade now and there's a reason i've never taught kids I, i i like the person i'm talking to to be responsible for themselves and then to be the end of it 
Um, I would hate it if I had to justify what I'd done to their parents or defend myself uh, in the face of someone who doesn't know what they're talking about necessarily. It is... uh, the holidays are nice, but everything else is bullshit. Yeah, tell me about... I mean, this, this is the thing as well. The holidays often involve Mark and loads of work. So, I mean, you get the summer holidays, that's great. But like most other holidays, it's, it's Mark and most weekends, it's Mark and Mark and Mark and doing lots. Unless you're a sports teacher, in which case, well, hey, you've just lucked out, you've won the lottery. Right? You can't you can't <laughs> mark running. Um, but... <laughs> I mean, it was one of the things I enjoyed most about going to boarding school. Uh, was that there was a, 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 an established separation between my day-to-day life at school and my parents um, and yeah at, at some point uh, in an episode to come we will have a look at uh, these different formats of education uh, because yeah it's, it's massively interesting and yeah my wife and I come from polar opposites of this educational system and so that's always fun to poke a stick at like between the three of us we have three very different experiences mm. with your boarding school she was at the at a, a, a waldorf school and i was at a comprehensive i'm not sure who no. who's the winner and who's the who are the losers in that one i don't know like i really don't know but like i think i'm the winner but we have to we have yeah, to discuss yeah. this to find out this is definitely yeah, a, yeah, an episode yeah. down the line i didn't get many hugs but that's okay i tell you now i make a promise <laughs> to simon once the pandemic's over you're getting a big hug <laughs> <laughs> that sounded quite sinister. <laughs> it sounded a little bit like a threat. Yeah. <laughs> it was a threat and a promise. <laughs> so, thank you for listening to Decades from Home. As ever, at the end of the show, I'm here to say thank you. You're wonderful. We love you, and all the other niceties that we we deliver as we as we wrap up. We have uh, only one announcement today. Uh, that is to say, congratulations, Glückwunsch, to our friend Stuart, who this week became a German. Well done. Welcome to the fold. Make sure you pay your taxes. Have a beer. Get some vice first. Get some lederhosen. Yeah, these are all things that you must do before the end of the year. So well done to you, Stu. Good man. One thing I would like to ask the audience to do, if they can, we reached episode. We're episode twelve now. What what would be really helpful if if you haven't done it already is rate the podcast on iTunes. Give us a little bit of a review. Just only a couple of reviews or a couple of star ratings can really boost our uh, listenership, which is obviously something that we're really really interested in doing. What I would say is if you if you're not interested in writing reviews or you don't have an Apple device. Uh, a retweet a like all of these things a comment we've had some lovely comments on some of the uh, on on uh, simon's twitter account questions things like that really love it love the interactions love love hearing from you so more of that please as ever if you want to contact simon he's on at decades from home on twitter for myself you can get me on at 40 percent german so as a reminder those of you who want to discuss the uh, tory party or their political leanings feel free to come at me um i don't block people uh not yet anyway so yeah feel free to if if you if you just want to say nice things you're also welcome to comment also take a look at 40percentgerman.com as ever articles going up we're hoping to have uh, an article from from uh, my uh, esteemed co-host uh, in the next couple of weeks so we're looking to do that we're also hoping to have a couple of guest contributions and a couple of other exciting things over the next couple of months so feel free new articles go up usually every saturday if you want to reach out to the podcast podcast or to to offer any ideas or to send us anything you can get us on uh, 40%german at gmail.com all that's left to do is say thank you you're wonderful we love you and we will see you next week
So this is an article from Spiegel.de. Uh, Job center must hot via Empfänger Monat. Hi, listener. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a long headline, this one. Yeah, so I, yeah. Yeah. Job center must hot via Empfänger Monatlich 129 euro for FFP2 Maskenzahlen. I want a mm. fucking round of applause. No, uh, right. Uh, yeah. I'd say one more go at it. Okay. Job center must hot via Empfänger Monatlich 109. No, you, your, your stress is a bit off there. Hartsfeer Empfänger, then Empf monatlich. Monatlich. Okay. Jobcenter muss Hartsfeer Empfänger monatlich 129 Euro für FFP2 Masken zahlen. Yeah, that sounds better. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. 